Oh, Jen, thanks for saying that really nice certificate the other day after I beat Brad in that trivia game. That meant a lot to me. <laughs> Stop. You're welcome. I don't know. Was $500 too much? No, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I won't spend it all in one place, but I just, you know, I really do appreciate that. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. That's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in L.A. And today's topic is... <laughs> I'm so excited. Wait, what? What have you done with Spearsy? I obviously didn't hear that right. I'm so excited. You are so excited. A- about what? Did you win a lifetime supply of whiskey and sleeping pills? No, but that does sound lovely. I really am so... Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget, please listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You know, I've always had it in my mind that I'm So Excited was a 70s song, and I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, I'm So Excited by the Pointer Sisters was released in 1982. But uh, only reached to number 30 on the charts that year. However, it was remixed and re-released in 1984. And that version, the version we just played, is probably the one that most of us remember uh, because it reached number nine on the charts. And then later on, Billboard would rank this song number 23 on their list of 100 greatest girl group songs of all time. By the way, in case you're wondering what girl group from the 80s ranked highest on the list, uh, Brad, any guess? I'm going to go with uh, Our Lips Are Sealed by the Go-Go's. No. Bananarama's Cruel Summer ranked number 13. Oh, I like that better than my guess. You do. Anyway, we won't see another song from another girl group on that list until number 37. What? With Vanity Six's Nasty Girl. uh, Billboard, come see me after class. (laughs) Anyway, with us today, Brad... Uh, she's the reason I am so excited, because she's the only one that really understands today's topic. It's Jen with one N. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. I'm so excited myself. <laughs> you people are <laughs> so I explain? Me out right now. Should I explain what we're all doing out. here? Yeah, explain what we're doing here. All right. Well, listen, 80s Nation has been clamoring for this topic. So today we are discussing <laughs> the top 30 hits of the Pointer Sisters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I've fallen through some kind of weird time portal here. (laughs) All right. Not really. So here's the thing. I am really excited to go on the 80s cruise coming up very shortly now. 
And uh, sometimes when I'm sleeping and I have to get up because I hear something or I might have to go pee and then I lay back down, it is impossible for me to get back to sleep for a, like at least an hour because I'm so excited. And during that time, I think about things and sometimes it's this podcast. And this happened a couple nights ago and I'm thinking to myself, what a fun topic this would be as the last one before we hop on that beautiful, beautiful ship back in time. So the premise is today, exactly. The premise today is things in the 80s that we got so excited about because I let's face it, when you're younger, things seem a lot more exciting than when, you know, you get become jaded, Steve. <laughs> Or, <laughs> or cynical, or what Brad. Right, Brad. <laughs> so, so that's where we're going for today. Because, and and yeah, let's let's just start there. I'm on. I'm just going to throw that out on the table and see who picks it up. Brad, get us started. What was something that got you excited in the '80s? Okay, cast your mind. It's a crisp fall day in 1982, and I know that my new favorite band. Somehow, even on Western Oklahoma, I knew that my favorite band had a new album coming out, and that was Devo's 1982 release, Oh No, It's Devo. Here's where I was at that point. So I was a fan of Devo, but I was really just in the new traditionalists freedom of choice era. Like I hadn't really listened to their older stuff at that point. So I wasn't, I was expecting more of that. And then this completely 100% synthesizer album showed up with all this crazy stuff on it. Like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. It just, it, can I say this is like the last thing that ever completely lived up to my expectations. <laughs> Maybe that's not true. Maybe but, not to uh, your wife. It was, yeah, okay. We'll Maybe take. I don't we'll, know. we'll take that out. Uh, they exceeded. They exceeded. Ah. So far, you know, there's always room for things to go sideways. This just it blew my mind. I mean, it's hard to, you know, you said earlier, you know, the stuff was it was easier to get excited about things, maybe because there was, you know, we just were more optimistic or more naive, however you want to cast that. But this was so different from the albums that I'd heard before, and yet it just had that same sensibility. They just kind of moved it to another place musically. And I just, I still love this album. Was it a record or a tape, Brad? Uh, I bought the tape. Okay. Yeah. I didn't really buy albums until a little bit later. or didn't buy records until a little bit later. And then I would, as soon as I would get them, I would play them once and record it onto a tape. And then I'd listen to the tape because I could listen to the tape in the car. That was kind of where I did right. most of my music listening. Yep. Practical. Practical to the end. <laughs> I just didn't. I just didn't have a turn. The turntable in the house was my dad's, and he's like, "You're breaking my Mozart needle by playing that awful racket." <laughs> I, 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 I'm getting the feeling that probably each one of us has an album that meant a lot to us in the '80s that we were really looking forward to. Jen, I'm, I'm just guessing. Do you have one of those on your list as well? Indeed, I do. So I have on my list the release of Duran Duran's Seven and the Ragged Tiger." This album actually came out in 1983, 
but I didn't get it until the summer of 1984. So I had been waiting for a while. And wow. uh, of course I got, yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. When you're like in, I think I was fourth going into fifth grade, you don't have a lot of disposable income. <laughs> so that's true. I had to kind of, yeah, yeah, I had to kind of bide my time. So I waited for summer, which I knew was going to be like, let's get the kids, the kids. I'm the, I'm an only child, but let, let's get her something to keep her occupied kind of thing. Cause I am an only child. So I wound up getting the tape from Kmart in the summer of 1984. And, you know, we talk, we're talking about excitement. So that in my mind, it's like the anticipation of the thing and then the thing. So by the time Duran Duran's third album came out, I was very familiar with their first one, Duran Duran, their second one, Rio. So now I'm like ready. I'm primed for this album. And and the single um, Reflex had been out for a little bit, while. And talk about excitement. The beginning of that song, oh, yeah. still to this day, I'm like, <gasps> I, get, I get all a tingle just when I hear that. Da -la -la -la. I mean, forget about it. Forget about it. So the whole album, I loved it. And I don't know if you guys remember when you bought a tape, some some uh, companies would put that little like at the beginning to let you know it was the beginning of the tape, which seems kind of dumb now. But that even made me excited to listen to the rest of it. But there are so many good songs on that. The Union of the Snake was on there and New Moon on Monday, I believe, was on there. I mean, just it was a great, great album. Did you see that they just started a tour of the U.S., Duran Duran, and they kicked it off in Miami and on the set list was the seventh stranger from seven and the ragged tiger really deep cut they haven't played that song in probably decades but it it made the set list and everyone was just like <gasps> and i was awesome. too i was just like it's what an amazing song to put to put to bring back after 30 some years i mean just i bet they forgot how to play it i bet yeah. they were like how does this one go like, what are the chords <laughs> on that people give them grief for that album but i love that album and uh, hmm. the reflex though the thing about that was the album version didn't have the, or my version didn't have the, you know, da -na 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 beginning. It had a real straightforward beginning. It was only when Nile Rodgers did the remix that it added all that fun stuff at the very beginning. Huh? Yeah, I wonder if if by 1984 that was the one I had. Like Probably. If, that, if they oh uh, could yeah, be yeah, maybe they re released it or remastered yeah, it with that. Sense. I know I know that I had the. Uh, vinyl version it, it was not there so go figure i'm sure there's some duranis out there right now who are like you moron keyboard to tell me i'm wrong <laughs> totally. yeah i know i had this tape it was my girlfriend at the time gave it to me because she was a durani but i don't remember it really making much of an impact on me i may have to go back and listen to it you have no soul well that's been established so steve what's your exciting album of the 80s when I was, it's all early '80s, isn't it? And I, I think you kind of made the point earlier. You, the slate at that point in your life is so clean that every yeah thing just feels new and different. And well, I've said many wait. times on the podcast, maybe not as much, but in person, that the golden age of everything is when you're 15 years old. Well, this was pre-15, I think. The just the argue away, Spiracy. Just argue with me all you like. Go ahead. Well, it doesn't matter. Don't turn into Angry Brad again. <laughs> People are very upset about that. In 1982, Van Halen released Diver Down. In 1982, I was still a suburban, grungy, metalhead 
who had no appreciation of Duran Duran or anything remotely cool. But Van Halen was cool in my group. And so we all got on our little bikes because none of us had driver's licenses. Picturing Stranger Things. We pedaled down to the record and tape outlet in Dunedin, Florida, which, by the way, very, very illegal as far as my mom was concerned, very far past the limits of where I was allowed to ride my bike. Oh, you were out, out of bounds. <laughs> and uh, we plopped down, which I think at the time the prices had just gone up on vinyl. And so it took like several lawn mowings to, to afford Diver Down. And then I got home and played it. And I hated it. I still to this oh, day. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. I hate it now. I can't, I, it, it, to me, is like the worst Van Halen album there is. At five of the 12 songs in the album are covers. The most popular one everyone remembers being Pretty Woman. Sure. Even though it still spent 65 weeks on the chart and it sold more than 4 million copies, including one to, to this poor kid. I, I, but I remember <laughs> to this day, when I see the cover of Diver Down, I just get like full of angsty regret because i just know how much it meant to me like we knew exactly what day it was coming out and we were gonna be there and then we had to argue over who was gonna actually buy the album and then the rest of us would obviously get tape you know tape versions of it yeah so and i was the one who was lucky enough to be able to buy it and everyone else recorded it it was just (laughs) the first in a lifetime of disappointments Uh but so uh, did your friends like it like, was there dissent no, in the ranks, or did you all kind of like, no, oh, they, I think they we all tricked we, us? No, I think we all were disappointed by it. So, okay. I, I know Van Halen fans probably adore it, but I just don't. Well, let me ask you this Did you ever buy a Van Halen album after that? Yeah, I bought um, 1984. Okay. So, it didn't, it just, it wasn't the end of my romance with Van Halen. Yeah. But it was one of the first times where I really kind of felt let down. Yeah. So, it happens. Brad, your turn again. Uh, I bet there is some pop culture event of the 80s that let you down. Oh, my gosh. So it's been long established that I worked the movie theaters when I was in my high school and actually in college, too. And one of the movies I was so excited about when I saw the first poster show up in our lobby was for David Lynch's version of Dune. One small point. Here it comes. We ourselves will see a slight problem with in-house Atreides. All Atreides. You mean, of course, Duke Leto Atreides, his father? I mean all Atreides. We want him killed. I did not say this. I am not here. I understand. So this movie poster shows up, and I am so excited because this is, to this day, one of my favorite books. Uh, I just I, I just love it. It's got thoughts about religion and scarcity resources and how you control a population. You know, anyway, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of moving parts, like in any good science fiction. And I did not really think about the fact at the time that they were trying to take this really complicated story with many threads and boil it down to a two-hour movie. And when I say that out loud now, I'm basically saying, in 1984, I was hopelessly naive. Uh, <laughs> it's supposed to come out summer of 84. Like, the first posters we saw, said, you know, summer of 84. And then we get a new poster, and it says, fall of 84. 
again that should have told me something was going on but i'm like oh good they're taking more Uh time i'm sure it'll be even better (laughs) oh that's so cute yeah it really is it really is and then the movie comes out it's so cute let me just tell you it sucks it sucks it is so bad it is so 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 bad and i know that saying something is bad doesn't really tell you why or how but the thing of it is it just didn't make any sense if you if you knew the material and it was like a failure on both fronts because if you knew the material you're like this isn't anything at all like the material and if you didn't know the material there wasn't enough there for you to understand what was going on the reviews were just ebert just raked it over the coals and Janet Maislin of the New York Times said several of the characters in Dune are psychic, which puts them in the unique position of being able to understand what goes on in the movie, (laughs) (laughs) which is perfect. And I will say at this point, I actually like it. I own a copy of it and I can kind of run towards the danger of how stupid it was. But it just was such a disappointment to me. I realized I should not be putting my faith in the movie business to turn books I like into movies I like. Yeah. How old were you when you watched the movie? Uh, 84, I would have been 17? 17. Yeah. 16 or okay, 17. So did you watch it from be- did you watch it from beginning to end like as a proper movie viewer and not like sweeping popcorn up or anything? like did you sit? Yes, yes. No, I went and sat and I watched it. So my question to you is at what so you're so excited to see this and you're sitting down and it's and the the titles come up, at what point do you start to feel like uh-oh, this is not going to be good. Was it like five minutes in, half an hour in? Like, when does it dawn on 17-year-old Brad Williams you, that there's a You start problem? to get a sense right from the top because it has a lot of exposition. There's a lot of voiceover to try and set the stage. And oh. you're like, well, that's not a good sign. And I, I will say it's visually really interesting. It just, oh, man, it just gets weird in the wrong ways. So, yeah, I can't really tell you. Yeah. I just I walked out of the movie. Just, you know, talk about Angry Brad. Angry Brad was in full flower at the end of that movie. Oh. <laughs> Jen, do you have any story about movies from the 80s that you were so excited about? I do. It's a, It's got a happier ending. I, <laughs> I don't walk out and I'm like happy. I bounce out of the, the theater. So in 1986, a movie called Pretty in Pink comes out. What about prom, Blaine? Andy, I'm having a bad day. Can we talk later? No. What about prom? Come on, why don't we just meet after school? No! What about prom? Andy, come on. Just say it. What? Just say it. I want to hear you say it. A month ago, I asked somebody else and I forgot. You're a liar! You're a filthy f***ing dog liar! You didn't have the guts to tell me the truth! Just say it! I'm not lying. Tell me! What? Tell me! What do you want to hear? Just tell me! What? You're ashamed to be seen with no, me. I am you're not. ashamed I to am go not. out with me. You're afraid. No, you're terrified that your goddamn rich friends want to prove. Just say it. Just tell me the truth. I am so excited to go to this movie. I mean, at this point, I'm really paying attention to pop culture around me. And there's like all kinds of hype. I remember MTV had like a premiere party where they interviewed, it was a big party and they interviewed all the stars of it and they would play clips from the movie. So by the time I got to the theater to watch this thing, I was pumped and probably had seen half of it. Yeah, I was so excited. And I must say, I sat my butt down and the opening strains of psychedelic furs pretty and pink comes on and i am psyched and then they show the the tracks that how she's living on the wrong side of the tracks you know <laughs> and I, I 
I watch it now and I'm like, this movie's not great. But I have such an affectionate, a, a soft spot for this movie. So much affection for this movie. Because at this point, like, I, I'm all in for Molly. I, she's like my hero, right? She's done 16 Candles. She's done Breakfast Club. And now even though um, John Hughes didn't direct this one, he wrote it. And she's able to be her Molliest. She gets to like put her outfits together and, and dress in that thrift store chic that she was good at in real life. So it felt like I was like hanging out with my friend Molly Ringwald for 90 minutes. I was excited to see it. And I was excited to be in the theater. And then when I left, I was in love with Ducky. And it was all good. It was all nice. good. <laughs> Steve's real happy for you. I, I, I loved Pretty in Pink, but I, you know, I remember getting the soundtrack before the movie came out, so I knew the soundtrack start to finish before I even saw the movie. So that, I, in a weird way, that made me love the movie more. It helps, yeah, uh, yeah, a, yeah. A movie, a, a good uh, soundtrack can lift a movie. That's absolutely one hundred percent true. It's it's weird because my two I'm so excited moments for movies are actually pre eighties, and I, so I won't spend much time on them. But I just want to name check them. Mm. Uh, Kiss meets Phantom of the Park. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I, that just came out of my mouth. 1978, it was a TV movie. And I think every Kiss fan out there knows that that was a complete piece of shit. Um, but, but I remember like not being able to sleep a week before it came out because I was such a huge Kiss fan. Sure. And then, and then this movie, which I just recently uh, rediscovered, uh, Viva Knievel. The first name in excitement, the one and only Evil Knievel, stars in his first motion picture, Viva Knievel. Wait, what the heck is Brad, that? You remember how important Evil Knievel oh, was. Oh, Evil Knievel was huge. I mean, even I had the little, you know, the little friction motorcycle. You spin them up and they would, like, you know, have them jump stuff and crash into your sure. sister's Barbie dream <laughs> cruiser or whatever the heck it was. So when we were 10 years old, this movie came out in 1977. And, and the basic plot is uh, Evil Knievel is offered a fortune to perform in Mexico. Uh, but what he doesn't know is that dark forces are planning to kill him. <laughs> oh, my. And that got dark. The cast. The cast is incredible. Gene Kelly, Lauren Hutton, Red Buttons, Leslie Nielsen. Frank Gifford plays himself. Good Lord. Dabney Coleman. It, it it is go go and Google Viva Knievel trailer and watch it. You think you'll be watching a very funny SNL skit, but you are watching the trailer to a movie that everyone who was ten years old in nineteen seventy seven was waiting to you know on pins and needles for. So let's get beyond the idea of uh, music or movies. Surely there were life events in the 80s that we were so excited about. Brad, what what was yours? So I'm going back to 1984 for this one because, you know, I'm such a fan of George Orwell. Um, in 1984, I moved from Oklahoma to California. And that was something that I was, after I warmed to it a little bit, I was really excited about. Uh, you know, we've all seen enough movies and, you know, heard enough songs about, you know, being the new kid, and I'm like, oh, this is my chance. I can totally reinvent myself. I'm going to be something completely different. I remember talking to my sister about, oh, I'm going to join a band. And she's like, what are you going to play? And I'm like, keyboards, of course. <laughs> she's like, you don't play keyboards. <laughs> I'm like, don't trifle me with details. So I just had this picture that I was going to go to this new school, and I was going to just be a whole different new person, which actually isn't really what 
happened. I kind of was myself and I have band, band geek friends and it was fine. I mean, it turned out fine. I, it was on balance, a good thing, a good change, but it's funny now to look back and realize how, like I realized it was this kind of singularity and I was, could come out the other side, something completely different. Jen, what was the, what was the life event in the eighties that you were so excited about? So I wouldn't call this the life event. I'm going to call it a life event that I was able to be excited about throughout, about throughout the decade. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I was an only child, which means I watched a shit ton of TV. <laughs> and <laughs> one show that I loved and would be excited to come home and watch because I was also, I, I have mentioned in previous episodes, a latchkey kid, as so many of us were. Um, I could not wait to come home and watch this show. And it is called Donahue. Have what? you heard of this program? Oh my gosh. <laughs> sure, of course. Oh my God. So I loved Donahue. It was on five days a week and I loved, loved, loved it. Like as soon as I found out that it was on, I, which was probably like early in like 1980, maybe. I mean, maybe my mom watched it and then I would start coming right. home from school and start watching it myself. But I loved it so much. And it was just like, it, it, it had everything. It had Phil Donahue for one, <laughs> but it also had like all these grown up topics. You know, I remember oh, yeah. there was one super weird one where like adults were would wear diapers or something. And that one I was like, I don't know what this is, <laughs> but I, I, but I would anticipate the show and I would also be like, is this going to be my life? Like what happens when you grow up? It's very strange. I remember there was one top one show in particular where it was about women who didn't realize they were pregnant. And this one woman who was on the show said she was like playing softball, slid into home, and then had a baby. And I was like, oh, my God, I am never playing softball. Just, that's it. I forget <laughs> it. <laughs> but so there were all these like complicated topics that were probably way too mature for me. But I was just so fascinated by them. But then sometimes they would have like whole movie casts on. And I remember one in particular when go when all the stars of Ghostbusters were, was, were on. Oh, OK. Like that was promo stuff. One. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I've been doing a little um, digging into YouTube, and I was watching one actually just before we hopped on to record this podcast. But Boy George is on an episode in 1984, really, which is so yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. In fact, Steve, I think there's one. It might be 90 or 91 where Peter. It says here Peter Chris of Kiss and his imposter. <laughs> And I don't know what that is, but it sounds fascinating. And that's the thing about this show is everything on it seemed fascinating to me. Yeah. So I will use that as my life event every every weekday when I'd come home from school is is uh, the Donahue show. I wish there was just a channel like that called DTV that I could just watch <laughs> Donahue from 1970 to 1996. It would be fascinating. Oh my and gosh. Super fun. Yeah, it would be interesting to go back and watch the really early ones too. Like, yeah, like sure, what yeah, was sure. what was topical in 1972? Well, it's funny because there's a lot of like s social stuff too. Like yeah. I was watching one the other day about um, he was talking about extended families, which today is like yeah, that's like that's every family I know. Family, you know? yeah, exactly. It's it's your family, but he was like, and wait, you're divorced, but you still talk. <laughs> oh my god! I was like, what? <laughs> it's very very quaint. <laughs> I I had dinner last night with my ex wife, so yeah, totally. She lives in Orlando now. Have I told you guys that? Is that bizarre or what? That is kind of oh, wow. crazy. That could be a show. That could be an episode of Donahue. She lives, yeah, she lives about 15 minutes away from me. We go out and get dinner like twice a week, kind of like what we did when we were married. So here's my life event. 
It's more traditional. It doesn't involve uh, having a baby at home played or being an imposter to a uh, a glam rock band. (laughs) Getting my driver's license in 1983, I don't think there was anything that I wanted more than the freedom of being able to to drive around and get things on my own and go places on my own and go like on a proper date back when I used to be able to have dates. Listen to music Um, at the level you would like to listen to. Yeah. And I remember my parents, they both drove vans for some reason. It was just the thing. My dad had a work van and my mom drove a, like a big van and they didn't want to paint it on the side. (laughs) Just, (laughs) just, you know, circa 1983. They might've actually had, uh, shag rug on the sides of the wall. It was it was just oh, weird. Oh yeah, to, you just wow. got to reach down both arms and hug the early eighties. My parents did not want me to learn how to drive in a van, especially not their vans. And so they <laughs> bought they bought me a, a Pontiac Sunbird, I think from nineteen eighty or nineteen seventy nine, mm-hmm. that had so many rust holes in it that I would constantly be covering it up with um, duct tape so that the water <laughs> wouldn't leak inside. And I learned to drive on that car. And then right before I turned 16, which is in July, I came home one day and they're like, we're going to give you a birthday present early. And they drove me to this car dealership and they got me a 1982 white Mustang because a Mustang was the first car my mom ever had. Now, granted, this wasn't like a super beefed up muscle car. This was like a... right. Circa 1982, you know, Ford Mustang. That's what the original Mustangs were, too. They were supposed to be just like economical cars to drive. You know, they weren't, they didn't start out as a race car. So they they bought me that. And then, like, three days later, I went to the the driver's license office and I passed the test. But the only thing that I did wrong, I still remember this day, was I didn't signal properly when i did my parallel parking so they, they took points off for that and they uh, really let me have it like 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 i'd failed like you know i can't oh believe you didn't do that you know you you were you're you were on the right direction until that happened and i'm like oh my god this whole thing has come crumbling down because i didn't hit the right turn blinker for my parallel oh my parking gosh. but it turns out that was the only thing i did wrong i got it that was probably maybe the three or four or five happiest months of my life after that because I could do – my mom would say, you know, go get some milk for me. And I'd be like, yes, I'm going to go get some milk for you now. <laughs> I'll be back in three hours. I'll bring you the change maybe if you remember to Here's ask me for milk. it. Thanks for saying – well, you know, while, while you're at it, can you go get some soda for your sister? I'm going to go get some soda for my sister. Yeah. I was so excited. Yeah. There's only a few moments in life that are like that. You know, that are just like open up a ton of freedom to you. And, and that was one of it. And that was the one for me. And to this day, when, when people get their driver's license, I just kind of, you know, I'm so happy for them. I just like, oh, you must be so happy. You must be so thrilled. Yeah. And they usually kind of look at me like I'm crazy, but that's fine. Well, the kids these days, you know. You know what else I'm crazy about? The, the seggies. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Uh, we'll play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. If you can get it right, you're entered into the drawing for uh, bottle openers. Did you get them, Brad? Did you get the new bottle openers? They're not here yet, no. But they're coming. Did you get any of the other secret swag yet that we were bringing on the 80s cruise? Uh, it's coming in hot at the at a late hour, but it will be here Uh-oh. in the next week. 
Did you all see the photo I posted? We have special Mardi Gras beads with the Stuck in the 80s logo on them that we're giving away on the cruise. I did see those. I yes, suppose I should fancy. take a picture of this year's... Uh, what do you like to call those, Steve? Go ahead. Do it. Uh, rubber bands? <laughs> do you want to call them rubber bands, Steve? <laughs> well, yeah, they're kind of like rubber bands, aren't they? No. No, they aren't. Uh, anyway, I have the... I have, those are here. I've had those for some time. Excellent. Well, anyway, so we have prizes eventually. Maybe we'll have some beads left over. We have giveaways. Um, have but stuff. in the meantime, pay attention. Here's the clip from the last show. Can you take a joke, Vic? Sure, I can take any joke you dish out. Oh, yeah? Well, try me. I sank your truck. What are you talking about? I didn't mean to, but uh, I lost control after I moved that brick from under your tire. You touched my brick? That was Neighbors, which not a lot of people got, starring John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. People could figure out who was in the clip, but they just couldn't put it together in their head that those two appeared in how many 80s movies together? Um, Six. Two. Oh. This one in Blues Brothers. Overshot so. the runway there, didn't I? Just a little bit. Uh, Jen, since you're here and since you've been so kind with supplying this week's topic, uh, might you want to read the winners? Absolutely. I hope this will make them excited. Winners are, winners include, Stony Stitt, Scott in Southern Ontario, Brock in negative 33 degree North Dakota, dang, Brock, Canuck in Colorado, Eric Berube, DJ in Clinton, and John in Dallas. Congratulations. Woot. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Got a little scotch? Sure. If you know it, email us at podcast at SITDs.com and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. Ah, the mystical sound that is named that 80s tune. We will play a a wafer-thin nugget of a song from the 80s. And if you get it right, again, you're entered into the drawing for some swag. I was pronouncing the G's this week, I thought. Be nice. Nice change of pace. Anyway, pay attention. Here was the clip from last time. That's Rome by the B-52s. Okay, so this week's clue fooled nobody. Yeah. And uh, as proof of that... Brad's going to spend the next 25 minutes reading names. Yeah, why don't you go, you know, sit back, relax, and listen to names. Hopefully yours is on this list. Here we go. Winners this week include, big breath, Dan Witt, Joseph Perdue, Stony Stitt, Eric in North Seattle, Donnie Gettle Rhymes with Metal, Michael Mock Rock Hayes, Andrew Holler in Cincinnati, Dave in Oxford, who literally hates the B-52s more than any other band ever in the history of music, Brock in North Dakota, Canuck in Colorado, George B., Anna Norcal, who presently said, prepare for an avalanche of emails, Marlene in G-Town, Jeremy in St. Pete, Trinette Mackey, Kevin Serving Wench, Anastasia in Colorado, Mark Ram, Eric Barube, Andrea, not Andrea, Krava, Tom Corn in Austria, Lou, Sweet Lou, Grilly, Sarah Fish, Debbie O, Stephen Denver, David the Very Generous Aussie, Nate Chops Johnson, Christian Lopez, Peter Ryan, Rob Jones, Russ from Newton, Kat Daly from Australia, Becky the Rocker Pixie, Cal in Atlanta, Greg in Ohio, who says this might be his all-time favorite B-52 song, and Ted Doug, who writes, ah, The answer to this week's Name That 80s Tune is Rome by the B-52s, but that's not important right now. 
Longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> this week's podcast brought me right back to a spring day of 1987. There I was in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona, driving a mid 80s era faux wood grain Mercury station wagon around my high school's pedestrian mall. Cars were not allowed on my high school's pedestrian mall. I was 26 years old. The car was the picture car, ostensibly owned by Missy or Mom. The picture, of course, was a strange piece of drivel called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And my job as a member of the transportation crew was to shuttle cast crew and vehicles to and from wherever they were needed. I got the job when my roommate's girlfriend explained that she had done this on previous productions and was doing it again and they needed more help. Imagine my delight when on my first day, the transportation captain explained that they were shooting exteriors at Coronado High School, my alma mater. So there we were, watching as the car pulled up and stopped in front of the auditorium, and then the historical figures jumped out of the car again and again and again and again. Over the next three or four weeks, the production rolled on. Sometimes my job was to move the station wagon from one location to another. Sometimes it was to pick up the hysterical figures from the hotel and take them to the set. Often it was to move Keanu Reeves' motorhome, his onset home away from home, from location to location, emptying the gray and black water holds when necessary. Ew. On the couple of occasions when I met him while performing my setup duties, he couldn't have been nicer. One of the more experienced crew members explained to me that he was going to be a big star. I couldn't see anything supporting her prediction. <laughs> Ouch. During our downtime, and there was a lot of it for the transportation crew, we would kick hacky sacks, eat and drink at craft services, which for all you non-showbiz people is food, and read copies of the script that were often laying around. It was obvious upon reading that script that someone somewhere had made a big mistake in greenlighting this movie. All the attempts at humor were so juvenile, so hacked, that this movie was never going anywhere. The fact that nothing was heard about it for almost two years seemed to prove my opinion. Now we know it was because of the production company going into bankruptcy. My fondest memories of the movie included eating chorizo and egg burritos with Abe Lincoln, Robert Barron, watching Joan of Arc, Jane Wheedland, do frantic aerobics and then get aggressively hauled away by security in a huge mall, of which only a small portion was open and lit, again and again and again, and seeing the actor who played Genghis Khan practice swordplay with the Louisville slugger off to the side. The dude's got mad skills. Because the production was already underway when I got hired, I didn't get my name in the credits, but I did get both an amazing experience in being a small part of this now classic goof fest and an enduring nickname for my work driving and cleaning Keanu's motorhome. Party on, dudes, and be excellent to each other. Wow. Yeah. That's an epic story. That's a great story. Ted Doug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Jen, you're here. You're warmed up. You're loose. Spin the wheel. Let's find out who won. I didn't even do anything yet. I'm just warming up. Okay. <laughs> worried for I, know, I thought maybe you pulled something. Round and round it goes. It is going to stop on Marlene in G-Town. You were this week's winner. Email us your postal Ooh. address, and we will, at some point in time, send you some swag. Soon, I hope. We'll put you on the list of unfulfilled swag a- winners. <laughs> Unfulfilled in that yes. I haven't sent them to you. Unful- not that you're not fulfilled. <laughs> Wait, let me walk that back a little bit. Sorry, Marlene. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> haven't fulfilled the order. That's Brad- what I meant. Okay, I'm shutting up now. <laughs> We're all going to be okay. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at podcast at sitds.com. And tune in soon, probably after the 80s cruise, to find out if you are a winner. 
We'll be right back after this commercial break. The Rock's new wave comes KTEL 180, starring Matt Benatar. Hot legs from the Knack, Blondie, and Joe Jackson. This year we're going out with it. Platinum power from Cheap Trick, the Ramones, and Gary Newman. Pretenders. Rock 80, the killer cut after cut, in tune with the 80s from KTEL. It's in stores now. And we're back. We have a few minutes left. I thought, what are we excited about now? Interesting, eh? Uh, yeah. My answer will be very short, as everyone can probably assume. But uh, but let's get started. Uh, Brad, what what are you so excited about right now? I am so excited to be bearing down fast on episode 500 of this podcast. Listeners will know that I have not been around for all 500 as a listener and then as a as a participant later. But I just think it is a testament, Steve, to your passion for the decade, your ex- whether you'll admit it or not, your excitement about things from and of the 80s that we've gotten <laughs> this far. It's amazing. And I, I think it's really cool that we're getting to 500. It's an it's an impressive milestone. And I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah, I I still remember when we recorded episode 25 thinking, wow, this is a milestone that we really have a lot to be proud of. <laughs> well, and it was. <laughs> and I remember episode 100 and 200 and 300. But 500 definitely has a special ring to it. And so I as well, that is my, my big thing right now. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the 80s cruise and our chance to interview the, the MTV VJs on board. And I just think it's going to be an overall fun. It's always fun to get back with our cruise family. Yeah, and eat snails for dinner every night. Ooh, buttery snails, and have eggs Benedict for breakfast every morning. And you know, and it'll be nice to have Jen back. Jen hasn't been there since year one, uh-huh. so I'm super, super excited. Jen, what what are you excited about now? Um, both of those things, and season three of Glow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure when it's supposed to come out, but I all I know is season two was amazing. And the last episode where the... Can I spoil it? Is it okay? Well, I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it. Okay. So I'll just say the end of season two leading into the new season is exciting. It is going to be... If it's half as good as the last season was, I'm going to have to like slow it down because I'm going to want to just watch them all at once. But um, yeah, I would say uh, season three of The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And the 80s cruise, and also the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just we're building a pyramid of excitement here. Seriously. So this has been fun, right? It's exciting to feel excited again, for lack of a better way of saying it. It's a real buzz. I, I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. I've been told on many occasions that maybe looking back all the time is an unhealthy habit. People say nostalgia can be a bad addiction. You can't see where you're going if you're too obsessed with where you've been. Huh. I just don't buy it. Over the last 14 years and 497 episodes, the co-hosts of Stuck in 80s have reveled in sharing our stories about the excitement we had in the 80s. And sometimes also the sadness, the disappointments, the missed opportunities, the regrets. But in large, it's about the happiness. We think about holding up that brand new Devo album for the first time, and we grin. We close our eyes and we remember the time that the theater lights dimmed right before Pretty in Pink came on the big screen. It always makes us smile. 
and we look back to those milestones in life, that amazing day at the driver's license office, and chills run up and down our spines. This is going to sound like an inexcusable cliche, but a Greek philosopher, one who is probably also accused of living in the past, once said, there is no harm in repeating a good thing. The 80s were a decade of good things. It is what still provides us with excitement today. And that's why Brad, Jen, and myself, and many others out there are still hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.